as we continue in our Easter season together, we, uh, I'm looking again at the final chapter of Luke's gospel and uh, seeing about Jesus' resurrection appearances and how that can encourage us and give us faith and give us hope and know a little bit more about the promises to come. And so today's scripture comes to us from, again, Luke 24. I'm actually going to pick up where we were a bit last week in verse 33. Uh, but this is the disciples. They were kind of still thinking, what's going on here? Is he alive? Is he not alive? And so here they, uh, they see Jesus in a whole new way. They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem, those in Emmaus. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, It's true, the Lord is risen, and he has appeared to Simon Peter. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. So while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind and heart? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. So when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, but because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me for me? <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for this time of uh, seeking your word together. Lord, we just pray your Holy Spirit would be active in every heart and mind and imagination, Lord. I pray that we might imagine what it would have been like if we had been in that room when you came for a visit. And how that might change how we live and how we hope and how we trust you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters... It, one of the things that none of us look forward to is death, right? Over the last seven, eight weeks, I think I've done more funerals than I have in the rest, the rest of my ministry, like in a season of two months. I think last week was one of the few weeks I had where I didn't have any at all, and then I've got one this week, and uh, maybe I'll help with Jimmy's. I, uh, but we haven't talked to him yet, but, but you know, it, it's kind of a lot. And as uh, you know, the old saying goes, there's only two things we can really count on in this life, right? And that's death and taxes. You know, and, and, so I, and not all the funerals I've done have been connected here with Conyers first. I've, I've done occasional, like my Uncle Tom. My Uncle Tom died in November, but uh, he was buried at the National Cemetery in Cherokee County. And so we just did that recently. And, you know, I just think of this type of season that, Someone we love has died, like a Bobby Hicks, who is so vibrant and energetic. And I probably got to know Bobby best by, you know, seeing her early on being here around the train table on Monday afternoons, uh, playing with Earl and Virginia and some of the other ones out there. Um, you know, just always vibrant and energetic and 
You could tell she had a zest for life, the kind of zest that you think, well, surely not her, right? You know, and so we, we miss her. I, I think of uh, times when I go and do a funeral and the casket's there and, you know, I go up and say a final prayer over the body and, and maybe put my hand on their hand and just feel the coldness and lifelessness of the body. You know, that's my grandmother's fault. When I was 10 or 12 years old, you know, at one of my, probably like uh, one of my great-grandparents had died, and we were at a funeral, and she's like, Chris, come here. I'm like, what? You're going to touch the body. I'm like, no way. <laughs> what are you, crazy? No, you got to feel what a dead body feels like. And so my granny had me put a hand on the body, and, and I felt what death feels like. And so with all this, there's the mystery of death, but we know it's coming, and we hope it's a day away, or for most of us, years away, or, you know, but, uh, but we know that we one day too must face that day. And so what does the resurrection presence of Jesus, how can that help us with our own mortality to understand what our hope is and what the promise is? And so we see today that the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrected Jesus comes as a living presence into the room with the disciples. He speaks peace upon them. And as they see him there, stunned, they're like, what is going on? Like, are we tripping out? You know, have we been, was there something in the food we ate or the wine we drank? I mean, I'm sure they were trying to figure out what was going on that day. But we see Jesus stand there in their midst and say, listen, guys, touch me. You can see it's my body. See right here, right there in my feet. And you want to check out my side too? You know, whatever it takes, I'm real. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit. I'm flesh and bones. Now, as Paul talks about what this means and how this impacts us as, as those who are here, you know, 2,000 years later, um, what Paul says is Jesus for us is a first fruit of the resurrection of the body. And first fruit is something any farmer knows, right? You're eager once you plant in the ground, maybe in, you know, late March, early April, you're eager for the plants to come up. You're eager for that first tomato. Anybody got a first tomato? Probably not, right? Uh, maybe that first strawberry. Anybody got some early strawberries yet? Because if you get that first one, then guess what? You know that more are coming. If you get that first tomato, you know, if you especially have a bunch of plants, you've got more coming, unless the deer get to them, right? And that's what Paul writes, is Jesus is for us the first fruit of the resurrection. He is to be an example for us of the more that is coming for our lives and for our bodies. And so as we see Jesus appear, there's a couple of things we learn about his resurrection and about his resurrection body in this story. The first thing is, is that his body was very much like a regular human body. I mean, it was his body that had been in the ground for three days, right? Because he still had the scars. He, he could have washed away the scars and gotten rid of all that, but he kept the nails. He kept the space in his side. He kept all that there to show this is really me. And you can touch my hands. You can give me a hug. 
You can see that I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit. I'm flesh and bones, just like you. And, and if, you have, you know, if you have any doubts at all, well, how about you got anything to eat around here? You know, I, I'll even I'll eat something for you just so you know that I am just as much a human as I've always been. But with the body, we also see that it is also very different. It's definitely a spiritual body as well. I mean, you know, which of us have we seen that can, uh, for instance, just appear someplace? You know, like walk through the wall and you're there. Or on the road to Emmaus last week, right? He just all of a sudden, he, he prayed for thanks for the, for the bread and broke it, and then he disappeared. I mean, it almost sounds like Neo from the Matrix, right? He just flying around, in and out, can go anywhere, do anything, except this isn't a movie. For the disciples, this was a real, historical, living encounter with Jesus. And now they begin to grapple and wrap their minds around, this guy is real. His body is in some sense like his old body, but it's also incredibly different as it's a body that will be raised up to heaven in just a few more weeks to be at the right hand of the Father and to prepare a home for us. And so in this story, one of the questions to, to kind of wrestle with today is, what about our body? What implications are for us in the days to come? And so I want us to look at just a couple of points that, you know, we talk about, we just read, uh, said together in the Apostles' Creed, right? I believe in the resurrection of the body, right? It's a statement of faith. It, it made the top list of the creed. And what does that mean, though? Well, one, um, the resurrection of the body is a very different thing than a lot of Greek thought. And Greek had a lot of influence in the, in the early days in the West. People like Plato and Socrates, they didn't think the body was very important. Instead of the body being important for them, it was all about the soul. You know, the body was kind of bleh. You know, it kind of, it burps, it you know, does all this other stuff, all those bodily functions, right? And so Socrates and Plato, they were like, yeah, we don't really need our body. All we really want is to get rid of the body and have an immortality of the soul, the real person that, that goes on forever and ever and ever. But brothers and sisters, that is not Christian thinking. We don't believe in the immortality of the soul. We believe in the resurrection of the body, a real, physical, spiritual, integrated, permanent body that will last forever. And, and so those two things are very different because in the Jewish mind, in the Jewish heritage, the body and soul and spirit, they were all integrated. They were made for each other. They were made to be together. And so we have this emphasis on uh, the resurrection of the body. And so the second thing with this uh, that I want us to look at today, and gosh, let me check my notes. Sometimes I lose my thought. It happens even to me, right? The second implication of this that Paul writes for us is this, is that the body in this life is a tent. But when we get to the next life, Jesus is making us a home. In 2 Corinthians, it's one of my favorite passages. I'll use it a lot in 
in funerals just because I think it explains things so well. But, but what Paul writes about is we're given this tent right here, right now, and this tent is often frail, it's often weak, it can get cancer, it can get sick, it can get COVID, um, it can have troubles, you know, you can poke out your eye or, I mean, just all sorts of things. It's a tent. It's only meant to last if doing well, most of us, 80, 90 years is like really, really good. You know, I, I know the oldest lady that died recently was made it to 119. I'm not quite sure how she managed that, but that's pretty amazing for this kind of tent to last for that long. It wasn't meant to be built for much longer than 80 or 90 years. And so what Paul reminds us is, is to be away from the tent, away from the body, is to be present with the Lord. And so he explains it like this, and, and Jesus explained it like this too. Remember the thief on the cross that we talked about a few weeks ago. The thief said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And so there is this immediacy that Paul talks about that when we give up our tent, we are immediately in the presence of Jesus. We're immediately in the presence of paradise. And we're immediately there with him. But we don't receive our home. We don't receive our new body until the end, until the day of resurrection, until the day of judgment. That, uh, that there is this transitory period where we're present with Jesus and awaiting for a new body that will last forever. And we don't know exactly what that will look like. Sometimes it's, it talks about us being asleep in death, but, you know, I, just, I, I don't totally know. I haven't been there yet. But we know that we're with Jesus and that he is making a home that is immortal, that will be real. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about it like this, that this tent that we have, it really is kind of like a tent. It's flimsy. It doesn't last very long. It's not very good. When you get your home, it's going to be like more real than you can imagine. And it's going to be more fulfilling than you can imagine and, and more at home than you can imagine. And... Uh, and it's just going to be just right. And so the Lord shares that, and, and Paul writes that kind of thing. And so that's a part of the resurrection of the body. Um, and so we have those things. We have a tent versus a home. We have the immortality of the soul versus the resurrection of the body. To give you one more example, i got to give you an example of, of how... <laughs> the immortality of the soul can sometimes uh, get caught up in Christian thinking. Anybody know the hymn, I'll Fly Away, right? A lot of fun, great to sing, gets us going. Sometimes we want to hear it at a funeral, but it's not very good theology because it emphasizes this immortality of the soul and it really minimizes the resurrection of the body, right? And so it's, it's often not the greatest theology in the world because we need to be reminded that we are getting a new body back and so one of the deals that is probably one of the biggest questions that most of us maybe have rumbling around in the back of our mind i think is well what about what do we do at death i mean is it important that we get the casket and that we get embalmed and we get put in the ground in a way that will stay there as long as possible is that is you know is that is that what we need to do or or is it okay to to be cremated 
and be scattered to the winds and you know out to sea and you know does it does that matter at all if if god is going to give us and make for us a new body and so some of the things i want us that that i wrestle with there or think about there is first of all um funerals can be as expensive as weddings you know you got the you got the caskets that can have air conditioning i don't know just all sorts of crazy stuff in there you know you want to spend twenty thousand dollars on a casket just so your your grandmother is is good for you know another hundred two hundred it doesn't matter they're gone it's just a shell it's just a tent that's all that's left behind and so I, I do think that cremation is not a bad idea because it's less expensive. Um, and, I mean, what we're ultimately talking about is God is going to give us a new body, and all he really needs is a little bit of dirt. You know, that, that's about all it takes. And, you know, and so uh, with that, really, I think you can face any of those options, however you want to. Because, uh, for instance, you know, our body is mostly water, right? I was reading somewhere just last night. They were saying, you know, if your body is mostly water, then uh, then the water that's a part of your body now, it's going to be in the rain sometime soon, and it's going to be a river sometime later, and some dog is going to drink it, and so it's going to be a part of the dog for a while, and then it'll go out. And, you know, I mean, who knows? You know, we don't keep our cells for a whole life. The cells you had as a baby, I would doubt any of those are still hanging around, Right? It's they're continually regenerated. They're continually new atoms, continually new molecules, continually all that stuff. Just, you know, and so I think philosophically, you know, if you want to be cremated, be cremated. If you want it simple, keep it simple. If you want a casket, get a casket, you know, but, but maybe get a less expensive casket and send the money of the gospel to take the gospel to the Middle East or to Ukraine or, you know, I don't know. That's probably a better investment than spending $30,000 on your funeral, spend $10,000 on the funeral, send $20,000 to make a kingdom difference in some place where the name of Jesus is not known. Right? Keep the main thing the main thing. And so with this, this is uh, these are the things that at least I wrestle with and think about with the resurrection of the body. But most of all today, um, what we see in this story is how Jesus' resurrection presence um, gave his disciples a deeper faith, a deeper trust. If Jesus can be nailed to a cross, and he's here with us, and we can hug him, and we can feel him, and we can put our fingers in his nail prints, then we can face this future following him no matter where it takes us. Brothers and sisters, it took them to places of suffering. It took them to places of death and crucifixion. But they were ready and willing because they knew that what happened to Jesus was their hope too. That they had a new home coming, a new body coming that would never spoil or fade. To share kind of this instance is Ignatius of Antioch. Ignatius was one of the first Christian leaders of the church after the disciples die. I mean, we're talking like 100 A.D. He was a bishop in Antioch, and this is what he says about these verses. It says, I myself am convinced and believe that he was in the flesh even after the resurrection, 
when he came to Peter and his friends, he said to them, Listen, guys, take hold of me, touch me, see that I am not a bodiless ghost. And so they immediately touched him, and they were convinced, clutching his body, his very breath. And for this reason, they despised death itself and proved its victors. For this reason, they despised death itself and proved its victors. One of the greatest testimonies as to why we believe in the resurrection of Jesus is because he had 11 and 12 guys who touched him and felt him and said, well, if Jesus can die for me, I can live for him. And I can die for him. And they did it. So he goes on and says, after the resurrection, he also ate and drank with them as a real human being, although in spirit he was united with his father. You know, I think about this, implications of this. Um, I had a church member years ago, just a real great follower of Jesus, um, Lee Hardy. Uh, Lee did incredible children's messages when we did children's church and all that. But, but Lee, he had kids, uh, one of them in particular, um, really was struggling with, is God real and is Jesus real and all that sort of stuff. And, and Lee got liver cancer. And they did the... They did the radiation and chemo, and it got better for a while, you know, maybe for six months to a year. But after that, Lee Hardy, you know, and he's, he's probably late 50s, maybe 60s, early 60s. Um, he was dying. And the one thing he figured he could give his kids in his final weeks, especially his son, was learning how a follower of Jesus dies without fear trusting in the hope and promise that's to come. And that's what he did. He did his best, you know, in the grief and the pain, but to embrace his moments with his kids and with his family. And it's always been a model for me of, of gosh, I hope I can go kind of like that too. Um, it also reminds me of a, a fellow, you, now you can look this guy up on YouTube, Claude Eli. Claude Eli uh, was a 12-year-old kid. His lungs were filled with tuberculosis at 12 years old. In 1950s, you know, it, things weren't looking good. They thought for sure he was done for. But he had some kind of faith in Jesus because he decided to sing one of those classic uh, spirituals. Ain't no grave going to hold my body down. Ain't no grave going to hold my body down. When I hear that trumpet sound, I'm going to get up out of this ground. Ain't no grave going to hold my body down. Twelve years old, he started singing that song. And he sang it for the rest of his life because the Lord healed his lungs completely. He became a faith share and evangelist in the Lord Jesus. And uh, you can go on YouTube. I, I did it this morning. I wanted to check and see. You can go on YouTube. Google uh, Claude Eli. And you can hear him as an evangelist in a Kentucky courthouse sing this song, uh, sharing his faith and how God had saved his tent, but even more how he hopes for a body that will not spoil or fade for years to come. And so, brothers and sisters, I pray today you might, like the disciples, have faith, have hope, because Jesus in his resurrection, it's here. He is here, right here, right now. He says to us, peace be with us. 
He says, listen, if you have doubts, then see, experience, encounter, and know that as my body is alive, I have gone to make a home for your body also, that it will never spoil, falter, or fade. Brothers and sisters, isn't that good news? If so, say amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, for your love and grace. Um, Jesus, give us faith that we might open our hearts to your resurrection presence even now, right here, in this place. That as the disciples were able to hug you and stick their fingers in your nail prints and make sure you were like really real. So Lord Jesus, we can seek you and find and discover that you're just as real today, 2,000 years later. And Lord, our hope is that as you, your body was restored and made eternal, Lord, we are hopeful that these tents we know aren't going to last, but that you have another body coming that will not spoil or fade, but will stay with us forever in your glorious presence with great joy. Amen.